In my years of humanist activism, I've wondered about how people come to the humanist perspective, an experience that many of us have had, especially those of us who use the term humanism to describe ourselves, is that one of our friends will inquire into our religious or philosophical beliefs. And when we tell them that we are humanists, their response is, what is that? Some of us find this discouraging, and it makes us wonder if perhaps we should not use another term that, will, that people will understand more quickly. I myself was brought up in Unitarian Sunday School. My church in New York City, however, did not meet my needs, since the main thing I remember about their Sunday School was wondering if there were not some topic other than Jesus Christ that might be interesting to cover there. Unitarians have significantly increased their appeal to humanist children since the late 1950s, but this was my reaction. At that time, I was reading John Locke and building computers at home. It would not be long before I would find The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. One of the wonderful things about ethical culture is that it emphasizes the creedlessness of humanism. Here at WES, we recognize that we are a group of people who come together because when we think about the most important things in life, we find that we share enough about what we think about these things that we really like talking to each other about these things and encouraging each other to identify what is important in life and to set our goals accordingly. We realize that each of us thinks about these things a little differently from the rest of the congregation. We deal with this by declaring ethical culture to be creedless in order to honor our recognition of this fact and our approval of it. The question of how people come to humanist perspective is entangled in this same difficulty. Just because our specific beliefs differ in detail and the path we have followed to arrive at our current views also differ in detail, we can still benefit by talking about these issues. But we must continually recognize that what we try to say in general may not match well for specific individuals. I am interested in talking about a subset of humanists and ethical culture people who share a general path to their views. The group I have selected is particularly challenging to organize into communities. And this is largely why I want to talk about them. If we can increase our attractiveness to this group, this can be an important source of growth for us. I think they also will benefit, since it is ethical culture that provides the deepest religious and philosophical organization consistent with the way these people live. I will be trying to talk to them to increase their desire to join together with other humanists in vibrant and active humanist organizations. Those of you who do not consider yourself to be among this group may also learn some ways of talking to such people to encourage them to join WES and to help make WES stronger and more active. When I try to identify the people whose path I'm interested in talking about today, I often find that when you ask them what their religion is, 
they respond with none or atheism, rather than replying with humanism or ethical culture. When we talk about increasing the organization of humanists, we notice the significant percentage of the population that provides such an answer to this question. But we also notice a corresponding resistance to joining humanist groups among this group. We see some of the reason for this resistance in The Age of Reason by Thomas Paine. The reasons why this group is particularly opposed to religious organization of any kind is fairly important for my talk. So I will digress for a moment and explain what is going on here. Thomas Paine was concerned about the church's support for the divine right of kings. He felt this was moral bankruptcy in an age that was beginning to realize that rulers derive their power from the consent of the governed. Between the church's support for combining church and state and the church's support for burning witches at the stake and torturing heretics to force them to adhere to church doctrine, there has arisen a rejection of all organized religion. Many free thinkers look at this sordid history and conclude that any organization formed on philosophical or religious grounds is capable of this type of problem. This opinion was reinforced during the height of the New Age movement when secular leaders such as those from Scientology and Est used high-powered sales techniques to create successful organizations. Rabbi Sherwin-Wine has pointed out another reason for free thinkers to avoid religious organizations. He pointed out that by the mid-20th century, an increasing number of Jews had learned to live without worship. Active political involvement can be an alternative in one's life to active religious organizational involvement. For Jews, this was particularly important, beginning with the rise of Jewish nationalism, working to achieve a Jewish state, starting shortly after the founding of ethical culture. The work to establish and promote progressive values in the United States also engages Jews and other free thinkers, and has done so since the founding of the United States. Living without worship can easily occur when a family stops attending church and drops routine prayer and other religious practice, as often happens in families who list their religion as none. Descendants of such families are less likely to seek out regular worship services than descendants of other families. Scientific education further undermines a desire for worship since the pursuit of science involves questioning all principles and being suspicious of all assumptions. The most vocal atheists usually follow a different path. Many of them were raised in a religious community and at some point rejected their religious training and feel antagonistic toward people in their former tradition who disapprove of the direction of their thinking. This path comes with substantial personal baggage that I do not want to address today. I want to concentrate on people whose path led to a less committed atheism or even a lack of affiliation with any religious or philosophical tradition. Thus, a rejection of religious organizations of any kind 
combined with an extended period of neglecting all religious practices, and also combined with reasonable higher education in the sciences, all lead people who learn to live without worship to believe that the story of Adam and Eve is a myth, and that even the story of Genesis is a myth. The scientific story of the creation of the universe, even though there is still some mystery about the origin of the Big Bang, is clearly the more accurate story. This kind of thinking leads people to a place where they are most comfortable listing their religion as none. For those who are not satisfied, neglecting the most important questions of life, such as what is good and why should I be good, the path of religious development does not stop here. For some, it continues on. The majority of such people decide that people or all living things are fundamentally important and that part of our purpose on earth is to care for and protect not only ourselves and our family, but all people and to some extent, all living things. As these ideas become more firm, it does not take long for people on this path to notice that the concept of God is not particularly useful for them. As people continue to ask them what their religion is, they stop being satisfied simply saying none, as if they have no basis for their values or their goals, and start to reach for another word that is widely known and more accurately describes their views on what they understand religion to be. Increasingly, this word is atheist. Unfortunately, many non-religious people do not really understand the nature of religion or what the word atheist does and does not mean, especially to theistic people. The word atheist was invented not by atheists, but by theists. It means the absence of a belief in God or any supernatural forces. For theists who believe that supernatural forces are necessary in order to determine what is good and to specify what morality we should follow, the word atheist means someone who has no basis for identifying what is good and no basis for any system of morality at all. When they read the writings of Nietzsche, his death of God writings lead them to declare him to be an atheist. And the fact that these writings formed a significant basis for nihilism, the belief that nothing has any inherent importance and that life lacks purpose, merely reinforces the theistic view that the supernatural must exist in order for life to have meaning. Thus, when a humanist or free thinker who has found purpose in their lives through finding worthy goals to pursue tells a theist that he or she is an atheist, they seldom understand that theists are hearing that they have not found any purpose for, to their lives, they have no basis for any moral code they may pay lip service to, nor do they have any conceptual basis with which to guide public policy. People who have learned to live without worship do not find a need for traditional religious practice or concepts. And when they try to figure out what to answer to the question, what is your religion, they feel a need to turn to the dictionary to find out what religion is. In the United States, a key concept in the definition of religion is the need for worship services. When one has learned to live without worship, it is very easy to look at such a definition 
of religion and conclude that you have none. Once one reaches this conclusion, it is tempting to think that the word atheist means someone who has learned to live without worship. The idea that this is not what it means to theists, but that it means much more in addition, is difficult for many free thinkers to understand. Today, there are increasingly strident voices on the religious right teaching that several firmly established discoveries of science are wrong. This shows the lack of understanding between religious people and free thinkers whose religious orientation is either none or atheist. These two groups of people fail to understand each other, but also fail to recognize that their inability to understand the other group of people, what is important to them, and how they establish the basis of their lives. For our friends who often classify themselves as non-religious, their resistance to forming together in groups based on philosophical orientation helps to maintain this lack of understanding. They do not talk to their friends about philosophical issues. They follow the advice to avoid the issue of politics, or at least religion, in polite company. Thus, they do not have discussions that would increase their understanding of their own philosophical position. This results in a feeling of philosophical isolation and in thinking that no one around you believes as you do. This is a common complaint among humanists who are not involved in humanist organizations. For most non-religious people who decide to delve more strongly into philosophical issues, it is, not find a hard to find, it is not hard to find humanist writers. Many of these writers do not identify themselves as humanists very loudly. Even Isaac Asimov, who eventually did declare his humanism loudly, did not do more than publish books about the Bible being literature and pointing out numerous contradictions in the Bible. For those who did not ever see these books, they might not know that Isaac Asimov was one of the most culturally influential people of the late 20th century to declare his humanism rather strongly. For those who get here through the path of living without worship, followed by scientific education, it is natural for them to continue to think about what they believe, about what is important, what morality should be, what should form the basis for public policy, and why they should select the life goals they have drifted into as young people. Such people develop these beliefs on their own as far as they feel a need and an ability to do. I was very fortunate to have found my life partner during this process, who then asked me the crucial question, Peter, these ideas sound very good, but you seem to be the only person in the world who believes these things. If this is true, doesn't this suggest there is a flaw somewhere in your thinking? It was this question that sparked and intensified my interest in finding other people who believed as I did about the nature of good and the basis of morality and the meaning of life. I'm beginning to think that without such a push, a belief system that is stuck in a naive atheism that is largely humanistic, and also ethical culture in nature, is a surprisingly stable place for a person to be. The resistance to forming into groups based on philosophical principles can be quite strong 
among such people. Another countervailing force is needed to get them beyond this point. Rather than dwelling further on how to get people beyond this point, I think it will be more helpful to describe what exists for these people beyond their naive atheism, which is easiest to arrive at after forming together into groups based on philosophical principles. Usually, the naive atheist fails to understand that the principles of science cannot determine questions of value or importance. Today, I like to describe these questions as fundamentally subjective questions that require subjective answers, while science restricts itself to objective issues. Many of the most influential writers of the early 20th century explained this problem, such as William James in The Varieties of Religious Experience in 1902, Julian Huxley in Religion Without Revelation in 1925, and Albert Einstein in his underappreciated essay on science and religion in 1939. Thus, the next step beyond a naive atheism is to recognize that a philosophy of life is necessary in order to identify what is important, what is of value, and what the goals of one's life should be. Developing such a philosophy of life is much easier in a community of like-minded or like-valued people, people whose fundamental principles of thought include a very high regard for the conclusions and even the methods of science. People rapidly decide, as we do in ethical culture, that all people have inherent worth and must be respected, and their thoughts and conclusions must be respected as well, even if they are wrong. It is interesting that even once such primary principles have been identified, that many scientifically oriented people may decide that such decisions about the meaning and value of life rather than being choices, are actually objectively correct, and as are the discoveries of science. They may conclude that the scientific basis for these conclusions has not been discovered yet, but will eventually be found. Felix Adler reached his conclusions from a different path, through Judaism. In the first few decades following the publication of Darwin's The Origin of Species, the overwhelming power of science was not nearly as apparent then as it is in the 21st century. And the Jewish emphasis on following the law and the tradition of rabbinic debate, rather than emphasizing faith in the existence of the supernatural and the revelation of supernatural edicts, opened him to simply relying on his own judgment as an educated man who was also educated in rabbinic matters. It appears to me that he followed his own thinking as Darwin had done, to go beyond the fairy tales of his ancestors and create a new religion based on the subjective search for the best thoughts and the best goals we can find. I think he was inspired by the Jewish emphasis on the law as a significant result of such thinking to arrive at ethical culture, a form of humanism that concentrates on questions of value and ethics and does not dwell forever on the nature of the objective world. Interestingly enough, as I continue to develop my own thoughts, I suspect that an insistence that science can provide an objective basis for values is actually a symptom 
that one is still being influenced by traditional religious thoughts. I found this insight by reading Sartre, whose books were so influential because he was able to express a feeling of meaninglessness that can easily grip a person in the early stages of abandoning religious beliefs. If one reads Sartre very carefully, however, one finds that he did not really think that the world was meaningless. He was saying that the world appears to be meaningless if one insists on the source of meaning coming from outside of oneself. The crucial insight expressed better among existentialists by Paul Tillich is that once we are brave enough to state that we can make our own meaning and set our own goals, then life regains its meaning. This is not a principle of science, however, but a subjective act. We see this better when we look at a person's life as being a work of art that means something to the people who look at the person's life. Each person is an artist creating their life as a work of art. At the end of your life, you look back on it and see the difference you have made in the world, the lives you have touched in a positive way, and feel a sense of pride in what you have accomplished. It is part of the humanist worldview to encourage everyone to look back on their own lives in a positive way without being overly critical. It is important to celebrate one's accomplishments in order to gain new energy for the goals yet to be achieved. I'm hopeful that by this point in my talk, you are at least wondering that when we use the term atheist to refer to ourselves, we may not be communicating an accurate description of what we believe to people other than those who agree with us on philosophical issues. We do not select this word to be meaningful only to our friends, however. We choose it in an attempt to communicate to strangers how we approach life. I would like to suggest that the terms humanist or ethical culture are much better than the term atheist, even when the response from strangers is, what is that? Rather than trying to answer the question of what ethical culture is for you, I encourage all of us to do our best to come up with our own answers to this question. Even if we feel we are bumbling around a little, we will probably do a better job of telling people how we approach life than if we simple de simply declare ourselves to be atheists. Another part of the story is that we are starting to see atheists trying to organize themselves in new ways. The philosopher Daniel Dennett has been a leader here, working to organize the brights and encouraging expressions of atheism within these groups. At the American Humanist Association conference this year, Richard Dawkins described his new goal to encourage atheists to wear a scarlet lowercase a believe it or not, yes indeed, and to loudly proclaim themselves to be atheists. Dawkins' well-funded plan is being carried out with some serious marketing expertise, something that atheists are not usually very good at. The marketing director for Dawkins' organization is thinking about how to get ordinary people interested in identifying themselves as atheists. And this marketing director actually does have marketing skills. 
The next step is for the atheists to form together into groups. The real problem is that the term atheist is really too broad and says very little about what one thinks the source of value and meaning is. The focus of the word atheist is the absence of supernatural forces. But this is not what atheists need to be talking about with each other. The irony is that when one organizes around the word atheist, it is tempting to talk about the supernatural in order to reinforce the atheism of the group. When I explain to someone why I do not want to be called an atheist, I explain that I don't think I should be named by what I do not believe. I do not believe in fairies either. So, so should I be called an a-fairiest? Should I spend time explaining to people why I don't believe in fairies? Will I feel bad if someone wants me to attend a performance of Peter Pan in which the existence of fairies is a critical plot element? No. I want to be with my fellow humanists and ethical culturists talking about the best ideas that have ever been thought and the best goals that we can find and should be thinking about moving forward on. For those atheists who are stuck on the idea that science will eventually discover the objective basis of our values, I ask them to give careful consideration to Einstein's thoughts on this matter. In his 1939 essay on science and religion, he explains that, quote, one can have the clearest and most complete knowledge of what is, and yet not be able to deduct from that what should be the goal of our human aspirations. Objective knowledge provides us with powerful instruments for the achievements of certain ends, but the ultimate goal itself and the longing to reach it must come from another source." End quote. The more I think about this, however, the more I realize that people can actually get stuck on this issue, as I have seen repeatedly among my friends. Exploring deeply how to get around this problem is a separate subject and well worthy of study and work. For us, for now, it needs to be enough to realize that some of our friends have this view, which leaves them in a naive atheism that may require living within a less naive humanist or ethical com cultural community for some period of time before the person is ready to change their view on this subject. Rather than thinking we need to change such a mistake, it is probably better to simply look for other arguments that will bring the person out of their atheistic organization into an organization that is less naive on this issue. We've covered enough ground for today. Part of the work of developing religious humanism and ethical culture further is to ensure that it is strong enough that it can take its place of religious leadership for the majority of the unchurched and all humanists and ethical culture people. I hope I have given you some tools to help us gain in strength by bringing into our congregation those people who are not being served by any religious organization, the easiest area for growth. We will continue to develop further from our current understandings of ethical culture as we have always done, and as the principles of humanism direct, but such developments will come in their own time. Thank you.